Okay, very good morning to all of you this morning who are joining in uh, for the Rock Church Squamish's um, Facebook live feed of our Sunday morning worship, and what a great time of worship this morning, a fantastic job done by Nick and the, the worship team, and uh, yeah, we want to make much of Jesus today, and, and we welcome you from wherever you are at, uh, whether it is from here in Squamish or uh, somewhere else in the Sea to Sky region or Valley, BC, Canada, and even other parts of the world. Uh, you are so very welcome. Uh, we would love to get to know you. We would like to invite you to make yourself known through the online chat function that's available through Facebook Live. And someone from the Rock Church Squamish would love to make contact with you and, and find out who you are and how we can serve you and just uh, pray with you. And so listen, if you are new to us this morning, um, I just want to introduce myself. My name is Rudy Botha. I'm one of the elders here at the Rock Church, and I'm uh, filling the pulpit here once more during the summertime as our lead pastor, Glenn Davies, is on a well-deserved break. And uh, yeah, we, we are very excited about what God is currently doing uh, in our church and in our church body uh, through our current series that we're teaching and preaching from. Uh, we're currently working through the prophetic book of Micah, and we are now well past halfway through the book of Micah. And the main purpose of us preaching through the book of Micah is, of course, to make Jesus known. That is the vision of this church, of the Rock Church Squamish. It is to make Jesus known, and, and we believe that the primary way to do that, to make Jesus known, is to, first of all, come and sit at Jesus' feet and hear what He has to say to us through His Word. And, and that's why we are in His Word. We are teaching and preaching through books of the Bible. We just don't go and, and uh, pick and choose verses that we like, but we trust that God directs us. And, um, and that is what we're currently doing. And, and so far, what we have heard through the book of Micah has been very challenging. It's been very challenging, but it's been very encouraging to hear from other people as well how God has been challenging them on what we have heard. If I can just quickly give you some uh, bit of catch-up here on where we're at in the book of Micah, we have now seen that God is aware of what is happening in His people's lives, in His children's lives. And we saw that in, in chapter 1 in Micah, how we called out sin in his people's lives, in the, the life of the nation of Israel. And how he was saying that, listen, there was going to be coming judgment from him. And that would function like discipline and correction for his people to bring them back to him. We, we saw how God was saying that they were neglecting the poor, they were neglecting the widows, the orphans, the marginalized, and he was not pleased with that. And he was saying that justice was coming. And then last week, out of chapter 4, we, we heard about hope. God was giving His people hope. And, and the hope was in His presence. And He was promising that there was going to come a restoration through His presence as they were going to be taken captive, go into exile, into Babylon. But that through that pain and suffering... God's presence would carry them through and rescue them. 
And so last week I ended with this question. I said, well, listen, what if us as the church, what if we are currently experiencing a type of exile? And, and I dubbed it and I said, it's a COVIDic exile. And what if God is calling us as a people back to Him, to go back to those ancient pathways, those ancient rhythms that Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego followed in Babylon, and how they lived a life as if God's presence was there, even though the temple was destroyed, even though there was no mountain of the house of the Lord. And what if we looked at the book of Acts and, and saw how the church functioned in the beginning, when they were scattered, and when they were also in an exile, and had to live as if they were in exile. And I pose the question, what if God is calling us back to those four main rhythms again of being devoted to the apostles' teaching? In other words, I'm so devoted to the Word of God, I'm, I'm in the Bible every day, I'm, I'm trusting to hear from Him, and I'm, and I'm devoted to listening to Facebook Live messages coming through the Rock Church Squamish. And what if we devoted our lives to gathering together, whether it be just in small groups and breaking bread together. In other words, sharing meals with each other and then very importantly, prayer. And I ask that question, what would that look like? What if that is the situation that we find ourselves in? And so today, Micah turns our attention now still you know, reminiscing about this hope and this promise, he, he turns our attention and with those questions posed to us as, as the church and God's people, he wants to now show us a clearer picture of who, who this restorer will be, who will be this person through which God's tangible presence would manifest itself and bring that restoration that was promised. And I want to tell you that with any new leadership, with any political campaign, with any new president or prime minister or CEO of a company or any new pastor, any new principal of a school, anyone who's, who's coming in with a vision or a hope or some kind of promise with anything like that, that person comes together along with the expectation of people and, and people wondering whether or not this person actually has the capacity to do it and, and whether or not this person actually cares about the plight of the people. And that is what we will see out of today's chapter. The purpose behind chapter 5 is, is from Micah's perspective to show that you know what? God is showing us who this person is going to be, who the restorer is going to be, and in fact that he cares. That he cares for the plight of the people. That he's not just coming with some wishy-washy vision of restoration, but it is legit. If I could put it in that word. And so the sermon title for today is the sympathetic restorer. I'm going to show us what I believe Micah is telling us, inspired by the Holy Spirit, written, what is it now? 2,700, almost 2,750 years ago, this, this book, and how it is the Word of God, and how it is alive and active, and showing us the sympathetic restorer of 
humanity. But before we read, let's just pray and ask God for His help this morning. Uh, Father, we, we come to you as Nick had prayed and said, Lord, we come trembling before you, knowing that you are a holy God and you are an almighty God and you are perfect. You are all-knowing. And Lord, you are, you are a loving Father, and we, we come to you in that way, and we come and just acknowledge our shortcomings. Father, I, I come and acknowledge my need before you, and I come and ask, Lord, come and search me and know my heart. Taste me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there are any wicked ways in me, and lead me in your ways everlasting. I pray that over all of us. Father, come and speak through your word today, for we are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in Micah chapter 5. I'm going to read to us the first three verses. Micah writes, Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. And he's writing to the people of Israel. They need to get ready for battle. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephratah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. As I'd stated in my introduction, and I'd mentioned this last week as well in my sermon, that if we look at political candidates, every time they form their political campaign around a certain message, a hope, a vision, a dream, and it's either to go back to a former glory or to go forward. We don't want to go back. And they always come with this promise that they will be able to restore the people either to that former glory or take them and restore them to a future glory. And as I would said, the big question is, does someone like that actually care? Micah starts off chapter 5 by indicating that, yes, God cared for His people. He cared for their situation. And He knew that they were facing an enemy. An enemy that was planning to lay siege against them. They were surrounding them. Enemies were gloating over Israel. In other words, God was not unaware, was not asleep. And God had specifically told them through Micah that, yes, he's aware of the fact that their king, their ruler, was going to take a mighty blow, like a blow to the cheek, and was going to get humiliated. If we look at our world that we're living in today, and we look at what is happening around us with economic crisis, Political situations, instability, weak leadership, 
if we look at what's happening, happening in parts of East Africa and South Asia where it's been the worst infestation of locusts for a quarter of a century, where there's illness and natural disasters happening all around the world, we can easily ask the question, is there a God? And if there is, does He even care? Does He even care? Personally, we, we ask this question when we're confronted with our personal issues, such as health, unemployment, worries about the future. Does God really care about me personally? I've shared with you before how I grew up in a home where there were some challenging circumstances. My father was an alcoholic, and together with that, he had bipolar depression, and my mother was a schizophrenic. And I can tell you, there were times where it was chaotic, man. Like, if I would go into detail about the things that were happening, like, you would not believe me. You would tell me, Rudy, this is a joke. But even in those situations, I, I asked occasionally, God, do you even care? Do you care about my circumstances? The psalmist also asks this in Psalm 77, verses 7 to 9. He writes, Will the Lord spurn, in other words, forget forever, and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has his anger shut up his compassion? But what we can see here again, and what I, wanna, what I want to encourage us to see is that nothing escapes God's notice. He was very well aware of what Israel was going through and what they were going to go through. And he makes this promise and he gives us this picture of what Israel's hope will be in. The hope of Israel is going to be in a sympathetic restorer in this way. Micah says that the ruler of Israel, and when he is saying that, he's talking about this messianic king, this shepherd-like king that was going to come in the likeness of King David, the one that was of the former glory, the dominion that Israel had. He was going to come, and he was going to be of old. He was going to come of, of ancient of days. In other words, old, that word, is used in the context as an adjective to describe God. In other words, he was going to come from the unlikely place of Bethlehem, which was regarded as an insignificant place, but still he was going to come in the power of God and being God himself. In other words, it's that, that doctrine of Christ, that Christ was 100% man and 100% God. What an amazing promise that it gives you and a picture that it gives us. And Micah carries on in verse 4 and 6 to say this. He says, This ruler and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. In other words, by the power of the Holy Spirit, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. 
When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads our palaces, then we will raise against them seven shepherds and eight princes of men. They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with a sword and the land of Nimrod at its entrances. And he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads within our border. God is saying to his people that, listen, this restorer, this Messiah that was going to come like a shepherd was going to come just like King David had come. King David also came from insignificant background. Even though his family came from Bethlehem and he was anointed in Bethlehem, we know that in that story when Samuel went to Jesse's house to go and anoint the next king of Israel, he asked, listen, is there no other son after he had seen all the different sons? And God said, no, this is not the king. This is not the king. And then Jesse says, well, there's one more, the youngest. Now, you've got to understand that word youngest in Hebrew means insignificant, unimportant. And so what God is saying here to Israel is that, listen, this Messiah, this shepherd-like king is going to be in that likeness of David. He's going to come from that insignificant background, but he is going to be significant in the fact that he is going to come with the power of God and be God's presence, be God incarnate with his people. And he will be their peace. And not only was he going to come, but he was going to then empower others. He was going to raise up shepherd-like leaders that will then lead his people. The big idea that I see out of this that Micah is communicating not just to Israel, but also to us, is that God knows all things. God sees all things. He is not unaware of the suffering in the world. He cared so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ. He sent God incarnate to come and live amongst us. How do we know this? Because this prophecy is, it is that Christmas story. It is the scripture that we refer to on so many occasions as it was fulfilled 700 years after it was made in the town of Bethlehem when Jesus Christ was born in this humble place of, of being in a manger. And we see this in Matthew 2, verses 4 to 5, that at that stage there was a star, there was a sign in the heavens, and there was a group of astrologers called Magi, they came from the east and they saw the star and they arrived in Jerusalem and they went to King Herod and they said, hey, listen, where is the king of the Jews? And everyone was startled because King Herod was the king of the Jews. And no one was able to read the times. No one was able to see that, hey, listen, this prophecy has actually now happened. And, and King Herod, he assembled the scribes and the experts of the scriptures. And they confirmed, they, they said, yes. It is in Bethlehem because he asked them, where was this Messiah to be born? And they said, in Bethlehem of Judea. 
But what is so ironic about this is that these scribes, these experts of the law, these theologians, these, these guys that knew the Bible so well, they did not even make any effort to go and investigate in Bethlehem because still in their framework, Bethlehem was of such insignificance. They were too proud, too comfortable in their religious position and their comfort to go and meet this king, this restorer who was born. But I want to tell us that the significance of the story of how this prophecy was fulfilled in Jesus Christ is this. That Jesus, God Himself in the flesh, chose to come from eternity's past, from heaven, from the ancients of days where there was no suffering, there was no evil, there was no pain, there was no sickness, there was no injustice, there was no prejudice, there was no racism, nothing. There was peace, perfect communion between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But He chose to enter into the history of the world, enter into the pain of humanity in order to become those aspects for us. In other words, Jesus Christ came as God in the flesh to be the restorer of peace between God and man by becoming suffering for us, by bearing our pain for us, by receiving injustice for us, by be, being treated unfairly for us, to receive inequality for us, to be treated with prejudice, and to take the racism of the world on behalf of the world. In other words, Jesus came as a sympathetic restorer, someone who was not unable to sympathize with what man was going through, but he went through it all. And that is the extreme measures that God took in order to restore the broken relationship between man and God. And that is what Micah is communicating here for us. That is who this restorer will be, Israel. That is who the restorer is, church. I want to make this practical by sharing a little testimony of here in this past week of how God always works like this, that He uses things and opportunities that we regard and think of as insignificant to reach people. This week I played a round of, of nine holes with a friend of mine, Gavin Hamlin, and we decided we were going we to tee off at the latest time at Squamish Golf, 6.5 p.m. on Monday. And, and we teed off and we played the first two holes. And behind us, there was a young man. Looked like he was pray, playing pretty well. And, and we asked him if he wanted to come through. But as he was approaching, I just felt God say, invite him to play with you. And as we were playing with him and we found out his name, and he told us he's from Persian background, but also Chilean background, he told us that his name was one of the names out of the Bible. It was a disciple because I had inquired a little bit about his background. 
And I looked at Gavin and I said, man, I, I feel this is a setup from God. And we kept on playing. And Gavin and me, we were talking and chatting about this podcast called This Cultural Moment. And how this podcast has really had an impact in our lives by really challenging us to, to see God's face and to be in God's word. And, and so in these conversations, this other young man was listening in. And then at one stage he asked us, listen, are you guys youth leaders or something? And, and we said, no, but we, we go to church and we, we're leaders at church. And then he, he was like, yeah, you know what? I, I was in a church at one stage and, and I'm a Christian, but I'm currently not living for God. I'm currently not in line with what God wants for me. I know this. And we carried on chatting throughout our round of golf. But the beautiful thing here at the end is, is that we were able to encourage him again. We were able to pray with him and, and say, you know what? God had orchestrated this. Can you believe this? That, that we would play at this specific point in time and invite you in to play with us just to tell you again that you know what? God cares. He knows who you are. He knows about your situation. And if I were to tell you of what insignificant background I come from in South Africa. And how I look at that and to say, wow, God, you had orchestrated this, that me coming from that background would have been here at this specific point in time just so that I can communicate with this young man that you love him. How amazing is that? And that is the measures to which God will go to reach someone with this good news, that he is a sympathetic restorer. And that is what we see Micah carries on with throughout this chapter. He shows us then now what the intention is and what the reason behind all of this is. Why, why is it that God was promising such a sympathetic restorer? And, and let's read and see what he says. He says, then the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many peoples, like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass, which delay not for a man, nor wait for the children of man. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the nations, in the midst of many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among the flocks of sheep, which when it goes through, treads down and tears in pieces." And there is none to deliver. Your hand shall be lifted up over your adversaries, and all your enemies shall be cut off. You see, Micah communicates here that God's purpose and his reason for this and his intention, the intention of the sympathetic restorer is, again, it's this, it's the remnant. It's to bring forth this devoted small group of people that would seem insignificant, but that would have the power of God with them, like a lion. And this is not a promise or an idea that would just come, and I think I missed the scripture there, no, that, that just came from Micah, but it is an idea and a promise that came from of old through Abraham in Genesis, where God promised Abraham that in your offspring, all nations would be blessed. And so we see that God's intention from the start throughout the life of Israel was that Israel would be a nation through whom all nations would be blessed. 
They would be like dew from the Lord. Showers on the grass. Now, ultimately, this was fulfilled again through this sympathetic story. It was fulfilled through Jesus Christ, through His life. He became that blessing to the world because through Him, through Him, we would be able to experience that fresh dew, those showers from God. And how would He do it? Through a remnant. Through His people. Through His church. Many people object to Christianity and to the church because they look at history and, and they will highlight in history how religion has been the cause of many hurts and many pains over the last 2,000 years or so. But few people actually go and dig a little bit deeper into history to see how church or the church has actually been the dew and that fresh shower of rain on the earth. I thought I'd just give you a couple of examples of how the church has always been fulfilling this calling that God has on His people. Firstly, the church was the first to battle infanticide. We have termed it abortion now. And that was something that was valued highly in the Roman Greco or Greco-Roman Empire and culture. The, the church was the first to fight for the ending and the, of, of the abandonment of children in the Greco-Roman culture as well. The church was the first to start orphanages and childcare as they lived according to an ethic from the Bible that Everyone was created in God's image and likeness. The church, through William Booth, started the organization Salvation Army, an international organization that had been caring for people in hospitals, assisting poor families. Through the church came the YMCA and the YWCA, that was a Christian organization to provide young men and young women with accommodation and employment opportunities. Through the church came the Red Cross. Christians were among the first to build hospitals and, and caring facilities for the sick. Christians were at the forefront in the abolition of slavery through William Wilberforce. And the church was at the forefront when it came to education for all people and the establishment of universities and schools. The big idea is this, that God's plan for the church has always been to be a blessing in the world, and that is what the church has been for the greater part. Have there been a trustees committed? Have people gone out in the name of religion to, to perform certain actions? If we look at it, at it now in hindsight, yes. But overwhelmingly, that has been the calling of the church. Practically speaking, that is the calling of every Christian that we ought to know that we have been called to be due, to be the rain, to be the fresh showers on the earth for people. 
And the primary way that we are called to do that is to love people. So love God first, love people as you would love yourself. But the greatest way then to love someone is to ultimately introduce them to the sympathetic restorer, to ultimately introduce them to Jesus Christ as the only one who can truly restore their lives. And that is what Micah is communicating here again. That is the purpose. That is the reason why God would send this messianic king in order to call out a remnant so that they can be a blessing to the nations. But then we see at the end of this chapter, Micah, similarly to the other chapters, he moves into just one last reminder from God. A reminder that, yes, there is hope in His presence that's going to come through this sympathetic restorer to call out a remnant, but ultimately, at the culmination of everything, there will be a day of vengeance. There will be a day of judgment. We read this in verses 10. Here we go. Verses 10 to 15. It says there, and in that day, declares the Lord, I will cut off your horses from among you and will destroy your chariots. I will cut off the cities of your land and throw down all your strongholds. I will cut off sorceries from your hand and you will have no more tellers of fortunes. I will cut off your carved image, images and your pillars from among you. And you shall bow down no more to the work of, of your hands. And I will root out your Asherah images from among you and destroy your cities. And in anger and wrath, I will execute vengeance on the nations that did not obey. Once again, many people in our culture today oppose this idea of a day of reckoning that will come, oppose the idea that there is a God who will ultimately and finally judge the world. They oppose the idea that there is a God who will separate people from Him for eternity in a place the Bible calls hell. They believe the notion that if there is a God who would do that, that such a God is unkind, such a God is a moral monster. They propose that God might just allow everyone into heaven without them having to give an account of what they had done on the earth. And, and that is called universalism. And there are some that say, well, in the end, those that do not choose God or put faith in God and believe in Jesus, well, they're just going to cease to exist. And it's called annihilationism. In other words, once again, they will not face a consequence. They will just be obliterated. But I want to suggest to you that such a notion is actually more unkind and unloving and unjust. Because in our Western culture, in our Western mindset, something like that would make sense. Because we are submersed in a culture of subjective morality where we decide what is the suitable punishment. What needs to happen. 
But if you would suggest this to people who are living in the middle of Africa in a village where Islamic militants, extreme Islamic militants come in and they kidnap hundreds of young women as young as 10 years old to make them sex slaves and to brainwash them so that they can become suicide bombers. If you suggest this notion to them that, hey, listen, everyone gets in. Everyone is in or these guys that did that, don't worry, they're going to cease to exist. There won't be a judgment on them. They would look at that and say, why would you want to worship a God that cannot uphold justice and punish evil? Like they would question that. Like what on earth? What, what do you believe? Like how can it be that there will be no vengeance? That there will be no justice in the end for all the evil and atrocities that have been committed over millennia? And if we are totally honest, we know that if there is a God and He is perfectly good and just, that He must judge impartially and fairly, and that there will be a consequence for the world, for all humanity. And this is exactly what God reminds Israel of. And it's exactly what God is saying to the world. That ultimately there will be justice. The injustice and the oppression of the world will be dealt with. But now the good news of this prophecy is that it is an already but not yet prophecy. And it was already fulfilled in the life again of Jesus Christ. It was fulfilled in Jesus because when, when Jesus came and He lived, he lived amongst us. He lived a life that we couldn't live, a perfect sinless life. And he died on the cross and he shed his blood for the sins of mankind so that those who put their faith in him can be restored into, relation, into a relationship with God. And when he proved that by ra being raised from the dead, that was the first fulfillment of this prophecy. Because listen to what Paul says in Romans 3, verse 23 to 25. He says, there is no distinction for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. And when Paul says Jesus was put forward as a propitiation by God, it means that Jesus became that substitute for us. God's wrath was poured out on Jesus. His anger was poured out on Jesus. And what this has created for the last 2,000 years is the opportunity for as many people as possible to be saved from the wrath of God. Listen to what Paul again says in Romans 5. He says in verses 8 to 9, but God shows His love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. In other words, Paul is saying, there is still a final judgment coming. But now... We can rejoice in the hope and the glory of God that God has demonstrated His love for us in this way. He's given us an opportunity in this time to be reconciled back to Him. And that is the good news of this prophecy. 
that yes, judgment is coming, but we're not there yet. There's still opportunity for as many people as possible to come to faith in Jesus so that they may experience the love and grace of this sympathetic restorer. And so I want to conclude by saying this. We know that the world is in dire need of justice, equity, love, mercy, forgiveness, compassion. All of that is available through Jesus Christ. Because political leaders have come and gone and they will come and go. But ultimately, ultimately, they cannot restore the souls of humanity. World movements have come and gone, and they will come and go. But ultimately, any hashtag movement cannot take away all the injustices and oppression of this world. Religions have come and gone, and I promise you they will come and go. Spirituality will come and go. But in the end, religion will not bring restoration between man and God. Ultimately, it's only the sympathetic restorer, Jesus Christ, and putting our faith in Him that can restore people back to the fullness of what God had created them to be, and that is to be a child of God. And that is what Micah is promising us. Maybe today is that day that you listen to this and you say, I want to be restored back to the Father. And the way that you can do that is to submit your life to Jesus, to acknowledge your sin before Him, and to repent, and to say, Lord, restore me back to you. And for those of us who have already made that decision, and we are already in God's family, God, maybe today or this week, is that day that we trust God to share this good news, this news of a sympathetic restorer with a neighbor or a friend or whoever God brings ac across our paths. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your message of grace, your message of forgiveness for sins, your message of restoration that you had planned from the beginning of time. Lord, that ultimately it was your plan to crush the enemy's head through a shepherd-like king and a sympathetic restorer in Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for that. We thank you for your plan of restoration for the world. And we thank you that we can put our trust and our faith in you, that you are a loving God, and you're a good Father, and that you are just, and that you are fair. And so, Lord, we just come and pray today, let your kingdom come and let your will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. And let it be done in your people, Lord. Call your people back. Call us all back, Lord. And, and come and empower us by your spirit to share this good news with those around us. Help us, Lord, as a church in this time to make Jesus known here in Squamish. We thank you that we can ask that. We thank you that we can pray your blessing over your people, over the Rock Church Squamish. Thank you that we can pray it over the church in general. And we just bless your name. We thank you for your mercy and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.